Hello, everybody. This is Born on This Day, the podcast that gives you celebrity birthdays and maybe even tells you a little bit about the day that you were born. I am Bill Antonio, and with me is... Amanda Barker. Amanda, how are you today? I'm doing just perky. How are you once upon a time? Oh, once upon a time, uh, it was a very cold February afternoon, <laughs> and um, I was trying to decide if I should make chili or bolognese for dinner, oh, and I heard sirens. lovely, lovely story. I heard sirens <laughs> in the background. Oh, that's no, not sirens. That? That's my fairy godmother coming to visit me, because today <laughs> is National Tell a Fairy Tale Day. Do you have a favorite fairy tale? You know, when you ask me that, the first one that pops into my head is the one I used to read the most from our Grimm's fairy tale book, if you can believe it, and it's 12 Dancing Princesses, <laughs> which is so not, a, it's such a random one that nobody knows, but that was my favorite when I was a kid. Interesting. I, I remember you? that story, but I haven't. Uh... I don't really. They just dance. They just they just party at night. Basically. I know. Yes, but there's something involving like they they dance until they're dead or something. Like there's always something horrible about the way these. Fairy oh, tales I'm play I'm out. sure there was like a little evil newt that married them off or something. Right. I don't know. <laughs> well, Jane Fonda has a great take on fairy tales in her autobiography because she says she remembers um, being read them as a small child and thinking that there were such horrible and terrifying things in these stories. But she says she remembers having a sense of understanding that these stories were imparted to her as a way to let her know that there were bad things in the world and that you do have the resources within you to deal with them. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so that's often fairy tales generally have a cautionary element about them. Mm -hmm. Um, And in terms of helping children to understand how the world works, little red riding hood basically is a, is a please don't get raped every time you leave the house uh, story. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and the earlier versions of that story make it much more obvious. I did a course in children's literature, so I learned a lot of really fascinating Mm. things about it. And it it is quite, it is quite a body of literature to go into. Well, Um, I, but that said, I don't think I have a favorite. I mean, I, Cinderella is the first one that pops to mind, but. Cinderella's a great fairy tale. Uh, It really is. It it, uh, stands the test of time. I will just do a a very short little plug. Um, I am the narrator of an audiobook called Disfigured, uh, which is on fairy tales, disability, and making space. It is a fantastic book and i i take no credit all i did was read it but it is a really fantastic book on fairy tales and how they've shaped our society and 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 our thinking as oh, a lovely. society yeah. and it really isn't just on disability but that is a, a big part of it and disability and fairy tales mm. so um i highly recommend it if you're interested in fairy tales mm. Yeah. And uh, we highly recommend fairy tales if you're someone who thinks that you get married <laughs> and you no longer have to try. Mm, All right. Mm-hmm, um, well, mm-hmm. Amanda, do you want to tell us what uh, sure. the characteristics are of today's birthday celebrants? Your life is a fairy tale, Pisces. Just like this celestial body, you are cheerful, you are creative, and you are determined. All these are strong qualities of anybody who is born on this day. You're also idealistic, compassionate, and generous. And you're able to remain focused, which is hard for a Pisces, so good on you. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, celebrating a birthday today, James Wan is a producer and director who made his debut with the mega hit Saw in 2004 and has been going strong since directing, since then, directing Insidious, Furious 7, The Conjuring, Aquaman, and producing Annabelle, Lights Out, The Nun, and The MacGyver Reboot. He is the first Asian director to have two films make a billion dollars at the box office. 
He was born on this day in Kuching, Malaysia in 1977. <laughs> okay, I'm not really sure where this is going, but I'll read the copy. I did not write out. that, so I don't know where it's going either. <laughs> you know, Marco really has to um, stop taking cold medication while he's editing my scripts. <laughs> I can't stop <laughs> It's him that's going to have to edit this. So, yeah. um, hey, Bill, ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. OK, hang on. OK, OK, here we go. Do the thing. Hey, Bill, ever been to Funk Town? Well, sure. yeah, maybe. I don't know. Why? What does it matter? <laughs> well, Mark Dacascos has. He's an actor and martial artist whose career has taken him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, taking him to a diverse selection of film roles including the 1993 cult favorite only the strong the french horror film brotherhood of the wolf and a series of agents of shield and in 2019 he appeared in the third john wick film they get more awful as you go folks uh, i know because i watched some of them um from a pillow no that's not true we've had this discussion before the first one's amazing the second one's bad the third one's pretty good Oh, okay. I apologize. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I slept I slept through the discussion as much as I slept through the movies. <laughs> anyway, um, he's a recurring guest on the Hawaii Five-0 reboot and became a reality television star when he appeared as the chairman on Iron Chef America from 2004 to 2018. Well, he was born on this day in Honolulu, Hawaii in 1964. Yeah, he's the guy from Iron Chef. Yeah, see, and I've never watched that, so I'm sure that Marco knows something about him on that show because marco watches every cooking show known to man so i'm i'm gonna guess that marco put um so if people are wondering why i'm laughing it's because we started this with hey bill ever been to funk town which has nothing to do with anything it's just been written in and i'm pretty sure he put it in um because marco really enjoys toying with things um back when before i knew him very well i used to call him yago because he loves dropping a little thing and walking away and seeing Ugh. seeing how things develop and seeing the chaos he i think create. you call him that because he's an evil little man anyway <laughs> <laughs> greg anyway. german is famous for playing slick morally dubious types best known for his role as the unethical head of the law firm that employed ali McBeal for five seasons he's the one whose idea is to have a, a gender neutral bathroom where mm. they all spend all of their time all day anyway <laughs> a former member of circle repertory company and ensemble studio theater he built his credits off broadway and then on broadway in assassins the person i once was and david mamet's war games he made his debut in the mid-80s and worked steadily in film and television until his big break following ali McBeal with the films friends with money and bolt and the shows house of lies ncis and once upon a time he wrote the play The Observatory, which was performed at the Ensemble Studio Theater. In 2017, he joined the cast of Grey's Anatomy as Dr. Thomas Karasik and stayed on it until 2020. He was born on the day in Houston, Texas in 1958. Uh, Karasik. I love Karasik. I love this guy, actually. And yeah, I didn't realize who it was until the end, until you said Karasik. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Because of mischievous nose. Yeah, I, I, I find him very interesting. I, I would love to see him on stage. I always get the uh, impression that he's fantastic on stage. 
Uh, Jennifer Grant is the only child of movie star Cary Grant, who was 62 when she was born. Her mother is Oscar-nominated actress Diane Cannon. She studied at Stanford. She earned a degree in American studies before working in a law firm and was chef at Spago's. Wow. Then decided to pursue acting. Her father died in 1986 and left her half of his $30 million estate, after which she made her debut on episodes of Beverly Hills 90210 as Celeste Lundy in the early 90s, was a guest on Friends, and appeared in the Evening Star and Erasable You. She published her memoir, Good Stuff, A Reminiscence of My Father, Cary Grant, in 2011, and she named her son after him. She also volunteers as an actress and mentor with the Young Storytellers Foundation pretty cool since it's fairy tale day mm-hmm. um she was born on this day in burbank california in 1966 have you read that memoir i haven't no i would like to though mm. yeah yeah that sounds like a good one especially the fact I, I there's something about reading about chef chefs i'd like to read more chef memoirs i find them interesting well i've also never read anything about Cary grant from anyone that close to him so it would be interesting mm. to hear what his daughter has to say about him even though he was so much older Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm the son of an older father and that's still, not, he, you know, I've got nothing on, on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, mm-hmm. it would be cool to, because if she, if he died when she was 20, she would have known him, you know, a good amount of time. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. One would think. Yeah. Let's put that on our list. And speaking of Ally McBeal, of course, because Diane Cannon was on Ally McBeal. Oh, right. Yep. Oh, Ally McBeal. Jackie Gleason performed as a carnival barker, daredevil driver, disc jockey, and nightclub comedian. By the mid-50s, he wrote music and recorded best-selling albums with his orchestra for Capitol Records. The ASCAP members' compositions include Melancholy Serenade, Lover's Rhapsody, and To a Sleeping Beauty. But the reason why you know his name is because of his acting career. First in the films Orchestra Wives, The Desert Hawk, and the show The Life of Riley, but most famously as Ralph on The Honeymooners. His role in the Paul Newman film The Hustler earned him an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. He starred in the hit comedy Papa's Delicate Condition. Call me irresponsible. And he hosted the Jackie Gleason show from 1966 to 1970, earning him three Emmy nominations. He made his last film Nothing in Common in 1986, released the year before his death at the age of 71. He was born on this day in Bushwick, New York City in 1916. My friend's dad wrote a film that he was in and had terrific stories about being on the set with uh, Jack. Oh, Anderson. cool. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. Very cool. ASCAP. It's so funny. I don't hear that a lot. Um, so short little story about ASCAP. My my friend, uh, you know, and I won't name her, um, but my friend uh, who I've written with and, and done a mon- billion things with, she was part of the BMI workshop in New York, which is actually a free workshop that pairs mm-hmm. uh, lyricists and songwriters together to create musicals. It's where Book of Mormon came from. It's where um, the couple who wrote the Frozen music came from and a bunch of other things. Anyway, um, so at the BMI graduation... All the ads, so they pay for all of this training. It's four years of training. They pay for all mm-hmm. of this training, and with the hope that you will publish with BMI. Um, but the ASCAP people show up to the graduation and poach a bunch of them. Oh, and uh, and that's what happened in her case. She ended up signing. She got a better deal with ASCAP than she got with BMI. And I always called ASCAP Slugworth <laughs> from <laughs> Willy Wonka because yeah. I always thought it was so funny because she just had this like clandestine secret meeting yeah. with this person who offered her a deal that was too good to be true from the from the evil competitors. And I just always think of ASCAP as Slugworth. Anyway, amazing. 
It's very funny. I mean, it's smart for them to do that. But anyway, um, well, Bill Duke has had success in front of and behind the camera, owner of Duke Media, producing acclaimed films and television shows for over 30 years. As an actor, he's known for his roles in Predator, Commando and Red Dragon. Plus, he was on the series Karen Sisko in Black Lightning. As a director, he made A Rage in Harlem, Sister Act 2 and The Cemetery Club. He was appointed by former President Bill Clinton to the National Endowment of Humanities and was appointed to the board of the California State Film Commission by former Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was born on this day in Poughkeepsie, New York in 1943. Drew Goddard worked as a production assistant in L.A. after college, getting his big break when he was hired for the writer's room on Buffy the Vampire Slayer's seventh season. Then he moved on to the spinoff show Angel. He wrote the film Cloverfield and was writing on the show Lost before he made his directorial debut with Cabin in the Woods in 2011, one of the most overrated movies of the last 20 years. He was Oscar nominated for his script for The Martian and directed Bad Times at the El Royale in 2018. In 2015, he created the series Daredevil and has directed and produced the show The Good Place. He was born on this day in Los Alamos, New Mexico in 1975. I enjoyed Cabin in the Woods, but I don't. I didn't realize it was so hyped. But maybe it was. So but that's hyped. what I mean. I mean, it's enjoyable. I don't think it's awful. But you know, you go into it, and everyone's like, "This is a this is a Cabin in the Woods movie, unlike any other. It's a horror movie like any other." And it's like, mm. no, it's not. Just because it's everyone's self reflexive and talking, basically talking back to the audience about what kind of movie they're watching. That's not mm. all that innovative, yeah, and it yeah. doesn't make the movie all that special. But you yeah. know. Um, before his recent downfall, Joss Whedon had a level of hysteria among his fans that was really like, I mean, it was it was going to be high time to bring it down to earth at some point, you know. Right. The bigger they are. Right. You know. Well, yeah. He just like he had devotion from people who were like, this man writes and creates things in a way that no one ever has in the history of the world. And it's like, well, I mean, don't put him up too high on a pedestal because the, the further he will fall after. Yeah, but, yeah which anyway. is what, it totally what I, I don't I'm not part of that world at all. I'm not yeah. a Buffy person. I don't watch any of it. I didn't really know who he was other than I had heard the name a few times. So I'm right. so on the outside of all that. But that said, oh, in terms of yeah. in terms of horror movies, yeah. um, I really like Cabin in the Woods came out a little bit before. Well, I guess a lot before us. Um and uh, what was the other movie that Jordan Peele made? Us, and there was another one. Get Out. Get Out. It's yeah. Get Out that I'm thinking of, actually. Um, Us is good, but Get Out I loved. Mm. And I'm sure that one was probably overhyped for a lot of people. But uh, No, actually, I'm in the minority of people who thought that movie was just okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but I enjoy both. But I enjoy a good mm. horror movie. I do too. And maybe I'm picky about them. I don't know because uh, it has happened many times that I'm walking into something that everyone's telling me is going to rock my world. Mm. And, um, Mm -hmm. and I really do watch it with an open mind because I do enjoy, I I know how to enjoy genres for what they are. And um, you know, like I don't sit through a horror movie and I'm like, but this isn't as good as Howard's end, you know? Um, So I wish wish you did though. (laughs) Right. Like I am skilled enough at it, but um, I don't know. I seem to be very picky about which ones I like. So what what would be your favorite horror movie then? Oh, the or original Halloween is really oh, good. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, and there's a bunch more, but I can't think of them right now. But yeah. Well, that's a deep dive for another day. Yeah. Um, is your it turn. my turn? Oh, yep. it is, isn't it? And we're where? Tony Randall? Yep. 
Good old Tony Randall. He studied at New York's Neighborhood Playhouse, served in the United States Army Signal Corps in World War II, then supported himself as a Broadway actor in the 1940s, earning his first leading role in Inherit the Wind and a Tony nomination for O Captain. Entering movies in the late 50s as an effete? How do I say that? Effete is how we say in English. Effete? Yeah. I'd never yeah. heard it. Effete character actor. He earned Golden Globe nominations for Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter and uh, the Doris Day comedies Pillow Talk and Lover Come Back. Starred in Let's Make Love and Seven Faces of Dr. Lau. And then in the 70s, conquered television with The Odd Couple, for which he won an Emmy, The Tony Randall Show, and Love, Sydney. Oh, yeah, Love, Sydney, for which he was nominated for two Golden Globes. He made a welcome appearance in the spoof of Doris Day Films, Down With Love, in uh, 2003, and made his final appearance in It's About Time in 2005, released a year after his death at the age of 84. He was born on this day in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in 1920. And my favorite Tony Randall thing ever is on Family Guy, when they had Peter playing uh he was on the game show secret password with tony randall and the secret <laughs> password is flaming and peter just keeps going you um i don't know tony actor you um movie star uh celebrity you oh my god flaming i haven't heard that in a while so good flaming so good oh mm. my goodness he was known as the Man in Black, but his name was Johnny Cash. He was known for his deep, calm, but bass baritone voice and the distinctive sound of his Tennessee Three backing band. Born to poor cotton farmers in Arkansas, he rose to fame in the rockabilly scene in Memphis after serving four years in the Air Force. His signature songs include Folsom Prison Blues, I Walk the Line, and Ring of Fire with other hits including One Piece at a Time and Boy Named Sue. He married his second wife, June, in 1968, with whom he sang the duet Jackson, and to whom he stayed married until her death in 2003. Late in his career, he recorded covers of contemporary rock artists, including Hurt by Nine Inch Nails and Personal Jesus by Depeche Mode. He is one of the best-selling music artists of all time, having sold more than 90 million records worldwide. He died four months after June at the age of 71. He was born on this day in Kingsland, Arkansas in 1932. What a life. What Indeed. a life he, he lived. Yeah, yep. I love that cover of Hurt by Nine Inch Nails. It's a beautiful, yeah, it's great. beautifully done yeah. cover. We used it in a show. Oh. Uh, that show was called Release the Stars. You might remember it. Probably you don't if you're listening, but look I it saw up. It twice, Amanda. <laughs> I still pay for the website, so look it up. It's called Release the Stars. <laughs> Release the Stars.ca. Anyway, Margaret Layton made her London debut with the Old Vic Company, uh, becoming a leading classical actress in Uncle Vanya, Oedipus Rex, and The Critic. Then in New York, won a Tony Award for her performance in Separate Tables and a second for The Night of the Iguana. Wow, that's quite a resume. On mm -hmm. film, I feel like that's so much. I hate when I do shows and nobody knows what the play is. Like, it's just a. Anyway, <laughs> I would love to have like Night of the Iguana or Oedipus know, Rex in my, in my thing where people are like, oh, you're in Oedipus Rex. I have heard of that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> instead of, you know, my Norm Foster's. Or I know. Whatever. Pick any three Chekhov plays and every British actress trained 
uh, yeah. at, at Rada or the old Vic or whatever will have at l- you know at least two or three yeah. of them on their resume. Yeah. Even in university, we did we did the Carol Churchill no one had heard of or whatever. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Anyway, on film, she co-starred with David Niven in Powell and Pressburger's The Elusive Pimpernel and appeared in Alfred Hitchcock's Under Capricorn, later was in the adaptation of Faulkner's The Sound and the Fury and Gore Vidal's The Best Man. Her third husband was actor Mike Wildling, whose ex-wife Elizabeth Taylor was her co-star in X, Y, and Z, and she earned an Oscar nomination for The Go-Between in 1971. She made her final appearance in Trial by Combat five years later, the same year she died of MS at the age of 53. She was born on this day in Bart Green, England in 1922. Yeah, wonderful actress. Not well-known mm. enough for her film career, but really yeah. wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and 53 to die of MS I at know. 53. That's just awful. It's also shocking because when you see her in The Go-Between... She doesn't look, she looks older than 53, so it's mm. quite shocking, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorites on the list, William Frawley was another vaudeville veteran who later became famous for television, beginning as a performer on the Orpheum circuit in the teens and 20s, before becoming a character actor in over 100 films, among them Miracle on 34th Street, Footsteps in the Dark, and The Princess Comes Across. In 1951, he was hired by Lucille Ball to play her neighbor, Fred Mertz, and it is what he is still best known for, lasting six seasons despite reportedly never getting along with Vivian Vance, who played his wife, Ethel. They apparently hated each other. Yeah. Openly yeah. hated each other. Crazy. He was nominated. And she's, he was like 30 years older than her, too. Mm. He was nominated for five Emmys as Fred, later appeared on the Lucy Desi Comedy Hour, and was on five seasons of My Three Sons from 1960 to 1965. A year later, he was walking on Hollywood Boulevard after seeing a movie and dropped dead of a heart attack at the age of 79. He was born on this day in Burlington, Iowa in 1887. Wow. Yeah. And no one really knows. Like, I've never heard anyone say anything about either of them, good or bad. To mm. say that that's why they, they just didn't, they never got along. And it's such a tribute to the professionalism of the era that they did yeah. six seasons of a show that you filmed live back then. Yeah. You did yeah. not tape for later. You filmed it live and everything went off without a hitch. And they had crackling chemistry the entire time. That it's just happens. Amazing. And yeah. it worked for those characters too, right? Like Totally, yeah. But that, that, that happens. I we've, we've both, I'm sure, seen it happen in plays where you're like, they hate each other yeah, on yeah. stage, but... They, but, but that hate is electricity in itself, right? Yeah. We've also seen plenty of real life couples who fizzle uh, together in plays or, or films as well. Oh um, yeah. It's a, it's a long joke. I mean, in casting, they often, especially commercial casting, they always want to see real couples. They never cast them. Never, yeah, no, I know. never, I never, know never. They Unless they're famous. The only reason to cast a fam- uh, real life couple is if they're famous as a real life couple, because that actually gets people to buy tickets. Like no one wanted to see Cleopatra, but they all wanted to see Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton together. Yeah. You yeah, I, I think the thing is, is ultimately, uh, I mean, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton are, I mean, that's all, audi- you need to leave something for the audience to discover. And if you've never, you know, if you don't actually have a relationship, then there is this openness, this danglingness yeah. that you can, the audience gets to have. But if you've yes. already solved all the problems for them, like Kevin Bacon and Keir Sedgwick, then you're right. just, you're just a bull of milk on screen. Yeah, absolutely. Or Tom <laughs> and Nicole. Yeah, 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 
Absolutely. Oh, after anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jane Wagner is best known as the author of The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe, The Incredible Shrinking Woman, and other projects that star her wife, Lily Tomlin. She initially moved to New York. That's a different thing when when you're in different roles where one of, of you is performing. Yeah. That's a whole other ballgame. Well, yeah. She or directors directing their wives or husbands in movies yeah. as well is a different yeah, thing, too. Yeah. That seems to work really well. She initially moved to New York City to pursue acting, studied painting and sculpture before making her writing debut on a CBS afternoon special in 1969. Tomlum saw it and approached Wagner to collaborate on writing for her laugh-in character, and they have been working on projects together ever since. In 2013, after 42 years as a couple, they made it official and got married. If I was in a different headspace, I would be bawling. <laughs> the couples that finally could get married after I so know. long. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, it breaks well, it's not like they were going to do any better, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's why I have you. Uh, Wagner has won three Emmy Awards and a Writers Guild of America Award and directed the film Moment by Moment, starring Tomlin and John Travolta. She was born on this day in Morristown, Tennessee in 1935. Good for them. And good I remember her. Lily Tomlin being interviewed about the fact that, you know, uh, like at some point we just kind of knew she was gay. She never really officially came out or anything. She's right. like, listen, I took Jane everywhere that I went. We were always went to things together. No one yeah. asked us. No one, you know. So, I mean, she was yeah. never that kind of a star that people were going to, like, go through her garbage wanting her her sex right. secrets or anything like that. But, yeah, right, you know, right. they were never – they lived it out in the open and no one ever asked them. So they never answered any questions because they weren't asked them. It's interesting. There's an interview I saw a few months ago, an old interview of Lily Tomlin, and I don't remember who it was. I want to say it was a British – the British guy uh, back in the, in the days of late night television. But whoever the British guy was, I can't think of his name. But um, – uh, you know, because there's only a few of them. And in he, I think it was him trying to get her to say it. It was, it, 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 it oh. was a very bad, I want to say that's what it was. And it was a very awful interview because um, yeah. he was digging or something. And she was right. kind of just like, what are you getting at? Like, what are you trying to prove with this? Well, you know? and it's also, I mean, there's a, there's really complicated politics about whether or not famous gay people should talk about it openly and there's a lot of reasons why it's complicated mm. ultimately though if a celebrity is really good at being uniform about their privacy mm. i'm fine with them also not talking about that do you know what i mean mm. uh, jody foster was always really insistent that nobody know anything about her life yeah 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 so i never felt it was disingenuous of her to also not tell us that she was um in a relationship with a woman as opposed to the people who are like you know hi et come in and watch me take a shit and right. then are right. really picky about what they want you to know and stuff like that, you know? Right. And Lily and, was one of those as well. Lily wasn't someone yeah. who, um, who, who banked on her private life as a way to, to, for comedy or for increasing her popularity in any way. So you shouldn't be asking her personal questions. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, they also, it's also the roles that get cast in Lily Tomlin. Mm -hmm. Like you say, she wasn't, the it, it's very different than say i don't know rock hudson or somebody somebody that was a sex pot for you know yeah I mean? yeah yeah she was um, never an ingenue and yeah, yeah she was never she had a few she had a few romantic roles but it wasn't really her it wasn't what she was going to bank on needing to last for a long time and in jody foster's case i mean anybody that was a child actor i i say it wasn't their choice anyway they weren't of an age where they right consciously made that choice so you give her her space however she wants it because they don't Anyone who's a child actor, I, I don't think owes the world anything because they no, didn't get a she, say. She also had know? the benefit of her mother being a, um, her mother worked for a publicist, mm -hmm. uh, a, the, a, the one of the biggest publicists. And so she knew everything she needed to know about the business. And mm -hmm. 
so she was always good at that side of it from a very young age because she had yeah. a really good person advising her. Yeah, thank yeah. God, because I'm sure yeah. she needed it back then. Well, moving on to uh, someone a little bit further back in time. In the 40s and 50s, Betty Hutton was one of the biggest stars in musicals. By the 60s and beyond, she was forgotten, except by her fans. She began singing with a band as a teenager before deciding to go to Hollywood, signing a contract with Paramount and making her debut in The Fleet's Inn with William Holden in 1942. The next year, she appeared in one of Preston Sturge's funniest films, The Miracle of Morgan's Creek, which is the most I've ever seen my dad laughing at a movie. Uh, later, she was in Here Come the Waves, The Perils of Pauline, and in 1950, took over the lead of the film adaptation of Annie Get Your Gun after Judy Garland was fired. Wow. She appeared in the Best Picture winner, The Greatest Show on Earth, but by 1957 was done with movies, tired of being underestimated by the materials the studio was handing her. She attempted television, but the Betty Hutton show only lasted one season, after which she only made a few more TV appearances before retiring for good until her death in 2007 at the age of 86. She was born on this day in Battle Creek, Michigan in 1921. Erica Abbey Wright is better known as the singer and actress Erica Badu, who became associated with the neo-soul subgenre in the 1990s and 2000s and has been called the queen of neo-soul. She was signed to record a uh, record label rather in 1994 and released her first album, Badzium. Um, I think I said that right. Badduzium. Bad Baduism. I think it's Baduism. Baduism. Oh, it is. That yeah. is exactly what it is. Thank yeah. you. Um, in 1997, which went triple platinum and featured the hits On and On and Apple Tree. She has released four more albums since, other songs including Bag Lady and Love of My Life. She made her film debut in Blues Brothers in 2000. In, sorry, Blues Brothers 2000 in 1998 and had a key role in the Oscar winning The Cider House Rules. In 2019, she was in What Men Want with Taraji P. Henson. She was born on this day in Dallas, Texas in 1971, and she is the favorite singer of my dear friend Dale. Oh, that's nice. I love Erica Badu. I think yeah. she's so great. Yeah. Victor-Marie Hugo was born today in Besançon, France. He was a French poet, novelist, and dramatist of the Romantic movement. During a literary career that spanned more than 60 years, he wrote abundantly in an exceptional variety of genres. Outside France, his most famous works are the novels Les Miserables in 1862 and The Hunchback of Notre Dame in 1831. In France, Hugo is renowned for his poetry collections, such as Les Contemplations, and Tabernac and Taberouette go to market. Many of his works have inspired music, both during his lifetime and after his death, including the musicals Les Miserables and Notre Dame de Paris. He produced more than 4,000 drawings in his lifetime and campaigned for social causes such as the abolition of capital punishment. Hugo's death from pneumonia on the 22nd of May, 1885, at the age of 83, generated intense national mourning. I have a soft spot for, for uh, Hugo, I think. I really, I've never really... read him. No? Oh, no, my I gosh. Ha- I, I, I love something. I love The Hunchback. I love that novel. I just think it is so... Mm. He He's just everything about France, really. Yeah. I mean, the, the tragedy. I mean, I know his stories beauty. well because I've seen all the adaptations. And totally, but, yeah. totally. But, yeah, no, I, I really, really... Um, I might read it again because it's been since I was 15. I don't know. I went, I, you know, because of Les Mis, I think I went through a phase in my yeah. teens, late, late teens, where I just <laughs> decided to to read Hugo. <laughs> and like all great artists who accomplished great things, he had a daughter who fell in love with a soldier and followed him all the way around the world to Canada and then like practically starved to death longing oh, for him. Oh my goodness. Like, oh, my goodness. Well, 
Yeah. I've never heard of Tabernacle and Taberwet go to market though. I, I that is so interesting to me. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe we're being played a trick on by Marco too because he wrote that one. So who knows? Oh, yeah. we are being played. A- I, I no, I don't. It might be. Real. I don't know. <laughs> okay. No, I was going <laughs> to say. I was like, is that where those swears come from? So those who are not in Canada listening, Tabernacle and Taberwet are Quebecois, the Joel Joel swears. Um, I mean, they're French Canadian, but specifically Joel, um, uh, <laughs> which is the slang of Quebec. Yeah, I think we were uh, I think we were cream pie by Marco <laughs> judging by my <laughs> Oh my gosh, I thought we were done. I didn't realize we have one more. So let me do that yep. and God knows what's gonna be in this. Well, Fats Domino was an American pianist and singer-songwriter, one of the pioneers of rock and roll music. Domino sold more than 65 million records. Between 1955 and 1960, he had 11 top 10 US pop hits. His humility and shyness may be one reason his contribution to the game has been overlooked um, by some anyway. The significance of his work was great, however. Elvis Presley declared Domino to be the real king of rock and roll and once announced that Domino was a huge influence on me when I started out. No, no kidding. Four of Domino's records were named to the Grammy Hall of Fame for their significance, including Blueberry Hill, Ain't It a Shame, uh, Walking to New Orleans, and The Fat Man. The Fat Man is cited by some historians as the first rock and roll single and the first to sell more than one million copies. Domino died October 24th, 2017 at his home in Harvey, Louisiana at the age of 89 from natural causes. And Hmm. he was born on this day, but you'll have to do the math. (laughs) Indeed. I don't know what day that was. He was 89 in 2017, so 2000 and something. In in 2010, yeah. Okay, sure. That that adds up. Listen, it's all a fairy tale to me, Bill. Thank you so much for for this journey. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure, and I will uh, look forward to doing it with you again tomorrow. Okay. See you then. Okay. 